Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's interview is with an old friend, longtime supporter, and an incredible guy named Brian Rose. And unless you've lived under a rock for a while, you know what happened. Brian has been building and running London Real, a really popular podcast and TV show for a long time. I've been a guest several times. Um, many of his early guests received a cup of Bulletproof coffee. So I know him really well personally. And Brian has said, you know what? I've been censored. He got hit really hard with censorship for having people on who he didn't even agree with entirely, uh, but people who had different voices. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. This is why I want to have Brian on the show, because he's one of those guys who stands up and does stuff. <laughs> so he's running for mayor of London, not as a publicity stunt. He's running for mayor of London because he knows the city that he loves and he knows how to run it better. And I actually believe him when he says that. So with no further introduction, other than if you don't know about London Real, you should. Brian, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for that introduction. And man, we go way back. I mean, I checked it out and seven and a half years ago, you were on London Real in the old studio. I wasn't wearing a suit. You know, we didn't have all the cameras but we still had an incredible conversation. And, you know, you came back five years ago and one year ago. And like, like you said, I used to serve Bulletproof Coffee to all of our early guests. And um, yeah, it's been great, a great relationship and you've always been super supportive. So thanks for all the support over the years and all the great conversations. Like it's been absolutely amazing. You are the first, I'm gonna call it podcaster, who was like, you know what, we can do better. And you said, I'm going to get studio grade cameras. I remember coming in seven and a half years ago, I was you know, mailing out literally little like Sony handy cams to guests because their webcams were so bad. And you're like, come to the studio. And, and I felt like I was you know, coming on Dr. Oz or something um, because you just said, I care about my audience enough to do really good production quality. But then something bad happened. So you're an established media brand with many millions of, of views and all of that. Uh, and then you had... You had a few a few interviews that with people who are absolutely firebrands, who people do not agree with, but some people do agree with. And then suddenly they shut all your videos down. What happened? Just walk me through the censorship that you experienced. Yeah, so it's been a fascinating year, a really eye-opening year uh, when it comes to censorship. I thought, Dave, that the weirdos got censored. That's what I thought, you know, and and... You know, when I started London Real in 2011, it was really a, a platform for free speech. We had people with varying views on some I openly disagreed with. Some of them made me comfortable, uh, uncomfortable. Some people were like, you know, Dan Pena, who we both know, this uh, high performance mentor who yelled a lot, who I hated the first time I met him. But, but, you know, I would allow people to come on and they could speak in an unscripted, unedited and uncensored way. And I did that for nine years and never had a single problem, built up a massive YouTube channel with a half a billion views, 8,000 videos, a partner at YouTube, been down to the headquarters many, many times. And you know, then 2020 came and there was a lot of fear out there and people didn't know who to trust and people weren't trusting the mainstream media. They weren't trusting the governments. And so we decided to start having voices on that might offer some alternative opinions. And, you know, it was April 6th of this year um, where we had a live stream episode right here in the studio. And it was the second largest YouTube live stream in the world that day. Um, second behind President Trump's coronavirus briefing that day at the White House. Um, it was 65,000 concurrent viewers. And based on the metrics from the previous episode I had with the same guest who had, it had gone to be watched 10 million times that episode, this was trending to be go on to be watched 40 million times, which would have made it the most watched video podcast in history. Um, more so than Elon Musk on Joe Rogan, which is like 37 million. Um, and so we were blown away. Um, it was shared all over the world. And 30 minutes later, we were like, wow, this is going to be a game changer. And 30 minutes later, the episode was deleted and banned on YouTube. And, and this is by a person at YouTube who didn't like it. You know, uh, for 24 hours, I didn't know why. And I kept trying to re-upload the episode. And I was vlogging about how what was going on and it was unfair. And this had never happened to me before. I couldn't get a hold of my rep at YouTube. The next day, an article dropped in the BBC 
talking about how they had pulled the episode because it violated their community guidelines. And I was quite not impressed that they talked to the BBC before they talked to me. Um, That's dirty. Yeah, that was dirty. And so I had long conversations with them. They, they said that I violated their community standards. And I said, exactly how they said, well, you, you, you weren't towing the exact same line as the WHO and that's our, our standards. But I said, well, actually, Governor Cuomo of New York City was just saying something that opposed the WHO. So did you pull his channel? So we got into this whole thing, Dave, and I soon realized that censorship was real. We got censored on Facebook, on Instagram. I got kicked off of LinkedIn. Uh, my TED Talk disappeared off their channel for about a week. Um, you know, PayPal, uh, Vimeo pulled my videos, Dropbox pulled my account. It was fascinating, you know, that Dropbox would even watch the videos that was on the account. So you got canceled. We got very close to be canceled, you know, and uh, we got told in no uncertain terms that if you want to upload certain types of videos, that they are going to be taken down and then you will be taken down. And so my initial reaction, Dave, was uh, no, that doesn't sound right to me. You know, I mean, I grew up in America and that's not okay. You know, freedom of speech is in my DNA. So we decided to fight back and keep in mind, this is the, in the middle of the pandemic, everyone's locked down. And we thought this isn't going to happen. So we decided to create our own live streaming platform. And uh, we raised a million dollars in 11 days and created the digital freedom platform and went on to stream the largest live broadcast of a human conversation in history. We had over a million unique viewers. We actually got the people that live streamed the Super Bowl the previous year to do our tech for the live stream, which was wow. quite complicated, actually. It's different than hosting a video. Live streaming is a completely different ball of wax. And um, I mean, the truth is, Dave, there was no crowdfunding platform that would even take us. So we had to create our own platform. Again, it was in the middle of the pandemic, but we had this ma major success and we live streamed this episode and we just wanted to show the world that it wasn't okay to censor us. And it was just a massive episode that was watched that day. So, um, and then from then on, we've just kept pushing it. Um, that platform's gone on to have 40 or 50 more uh, live streams. We did the largest live stream of uh, a documentary film uh, with 1.3 million uniques a couple months later. And we've had Nobel Prize winners, scientists, doctors, nurses, professors emeritus at MIT, uh, four-star generals, uh, all on that platform since. And some of those messages were actually more correct than what the government and the mm -hmm. mainstream media was doing. So Professor Michael Levitt of Stanford, Nobel Prize winner, he was correct in his you know, prognosis of you know, the damage. Um, and yet I couldn't stream on YouTube. So I'm honestly, censorship cost lives this year and it's been, it's been painful to watch. And there's something interesting, uh, if you're listening to this right now, has Brian specifically said the name of any of the things that got him censored or any of the guests? He hasn't for a very specific reason. We talked about it ahead of time because I would like you to be able to hear this show. And I'm subject to the same things. In fact, many of my friends, there's a group of several hundred people who are working really hard to change the health of the world. And there's actually a group of about a million people if you look at the big group, but these are the people with really big voices. All of us are concerned that we can't say the things we want to say. Uh, we speak in codes, we allude to things, and it's not just me doing that. So we're likely safe on this episode because we haven't said the name of, of him who shall not be mentioned, and we haven't said the name of that virus which shall not be mentioned, which is ridiculous. We live in a world where dissent and discussion are important. I look at how the House of Commons works. And as an American, by the way, I'm transplanted to Canada. I've been here for 10 years. And I, I look at, at I've, I've literally seen people come to blows when watching videos of how things work in the UK. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to violently disagree without necessarily coming to blows. But suddenly now disagreement isn't something that's allowed anymore. This is new. And it is not healthy, I just didn't exactly know what to do about it. So you're like, okay, first a digital freedom platform, but then running for mayor of London, what went through your head to decide you're going to do that? Yeah, it's a great question, David. And I had to really think about my own relationship with freedom of speech, kind of like you said, you know, you have to really go back and ask, what is it? Why is it important? And I had a lot of great discussions with people about what it really means. And there's freedom of speech, but there's also freedom 
to be able to say what you want and listen to someone else. There's this concept of sovereignty over your own body that as an adult, you should have the right to choose what you put in your body. Um, we have a regulator here in yeah. the UK called Ofcom, which, which tells radio and television ch channels not to do things. And funny enough, one of my episodes was streamed on one of the television channels and that got taken down. And so, you know, it's, it's rife. And yet on the House of Commons, like you said here, they can really go at it with an open and honest debate. And the more I thought about it, I agree with what you just said. I mean, if you look back in human history, you know, uh, the, the, the greatest advances in civilization come from the best ideas that come from an open and honest debate. And when I look back, you know, if we had had these digital platforms, uh, for example, as an extreme case during the times of slavery, could I have talked about abolishing slavery? That probably would have been against community policy. Same with the right for women to vote. Same with so many issues, you know, that probably wouldn't have been accepted at the time. And yet, the fact that we could openly talk about this created great change that allows us to where we are today. So to shut it down now um, is something we have to really think about. I think a lot of people don't realize the value of freedom of speech. And so when it's slowly taken away from us, we don't notice. And when it's our digital platforms, David, they say, well, it's a private company and you know we can do what we want in a private company. But when it's locked down, it's actually the only method of communication. You could argue it's a public utility, especially when there's an ad for the NHS underneath every YouTube video. You know, you, there is precedent in this country that when a private company acts as a public utility, there's a history with the London Stock Exchange that it actually that does come over uh, the laws of the land. And so, Dave, yeah. I started looking into these pieces. We started a couple lawsuits here and there. We obviously pushed back against YouTube as much as we could. We created our own platform and I started criticizing the government. And at one point I thought, you know what? It's one thing to criticize. It's another thing to offer a solution. And I always tell all my, my team here, I said, don't come to my office with problems, come to my office with solutions because anybody yeah. can, can come up with a problem. And so I thought, you know what, you know, in, as opposed to showing what the mayor of London's doing wrong, what our prime minister is doing wrong, and most of it is completely contrary to the ideas we talk about on this show. We're currently in a full lockdown here, David, and it defies logic. Um, it was actually the, the Cambridge University study that, that brought us to this lockdown was proven wrong before the lockdown happened. And so most people know this is not right, and yet the government still has this strange agenda that I can barely figure out. But what I do know is as an independent candidate, I don't have vested interests, I don't have lobbyists, I don't have a party system the best idea can win. And so honestly, I thought about it for months, Dave. Um, the mayor election was coming up. It was actually postponed because of COVID, funny enough. And so it, it, it seemed like something I had to do. That's the truth. I've been, I've been here for 20 years. I've been a citizen of this country for 13 years. My two sons were born here. I plan on being buried in this city and I love this city. It's, it's given me everything. And I can't sit around and watch this current crop of politicians run it into the ground. And so, uh, you know, when I went home and told my wife this, she said, Brian, why do this? London Real has never been bigger. Business has never been better. We have digital platforms, a digital academy that's booming. This, this is the last thing that, you know, you want to do because it's a massive pay cut. I'm going to get massively criticized. But at the same time, Dave, it's like I can't not do this, if that makes sense. It's like, it's my calling. So here we are, we announced five weeks ago that I'll be running for mayor. And it's been, it's been incredible reception ever since. How are the numbers looking? You know, it's been fascinating. We are actually in second place in the Vegas odds right now. So we are actually um, ahead of the conservative candidate right now, which is um, unprecedented. It's never happened yeah. in history that an independent candidate would even be tied for third, which is where the odds makers opened us up as a hundred to one shot, tied with the liberal Democrats, which is like a third party independent candidate. They opened us up as third at a hundred to one odds. A day later, we were 50 to one. Two days later, we were 25 to one. And now according to Patty Power, which is the biggest bookmaker in the world, we are in second place at four to one odds. So, wow. yeah, we're a real contender. People on the streets are stopping me, not saying, Thank you for London Real. I'm not saying thank you for fighting censorship. They're saying we're voting for you for mayor. So I mean, taxi wow. drivers, uh, you know, truck drivers, people on the streets, and all demos, mothers, young kids. They're all stopping me, saying, you know, you're our next mayor. So and how does that feel? 
it's incredible, Dave. I mean, honestly, we didn't expect this this fast. We thought, you know, maybe by January we might be, you know, somewhere in the mix. But to see it happen this fast, and the the bookmakers don't lie because that's where people put their money. So, you know, it's been incredible. It's been humbling. Uh, the truth is, Dave, is that when I get in there, I've got a massive job to do. So I'm already planning the work I have to do when I'm there. It's a 17 billion pound budget the mayor has in this city. Yeah, I'll be in charge of transport, police, education, and all sorts of other issues around that. So it's a big job and I'm getting my head around it. Um, a lot of responsibility, but it's, it just feels amazing. And it's, it's my best chance to serve, Dave. I mean, I've been, the last nine years I've been serving. I've been trying to, our mission statement on the wall is to create a mass scale transformation of humanity into a fully empowered, conscious and cooperative species. But being mayor of London is the way I could really, really do that. So um, it's exciting, it's scary, it's nerve wracking, it's uncomfortable, but I love it. Brexit was a big deal before um, people are now like, oh yeah, that, that happened, but, but coronavirus. So how is Brexit going to affect what happens when you are mayor of London? It's more of a kind of a national policy that will kind of be, I mean, they're still trying to hammer out all the details. Right. It's it. going to so, affect London greatly, isn't it? I mean, banks yeah. could leave and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been in, it's, you know, Brexit was passed years ago. It's mm -hmm. the crazy thing. It's taken so long to finally implement it. And it looks like it's finally been implemented to really happen um, because it was the popular vote. And so the, gov the national government has gone to try to do that. They're still hammering out the details. There's a lot of negotiations to happen with the EU, but it, it looks like it's effectively happening. So for London, you know, as the mayor, my job is though to promote this city, to promote the fact that we want commerce to happen here. We want, you know, as many international people as possible to make that happen. So, you know, honestly, I'll, I'll have big things to worry about. You know, the Brexit is something that more the national government will be handling. What is the first major thing you would fix? Hmm. The first thing we need to do is get London back to work, period, period. You know, there are so many problems we're facing here right now. Uh, uh, Dave, the, the transport for London, the tube network is billions and billions of pounds, you know, in debt and it's having to go to the government for bailouts. Um, our, our mental health is at shocking levels, suicides yeah. at all time highs, education is suffering. Um, our physical health is suffering because the NHS is, is uh, not accepting normal appointments. People are also keeping themselves at home and not getting the treatment they need because this campaign of fear has been overdone. But the biggest thing I see as an entrepreneur and as someone who studied economics at MIT in the Sloan School of Management is getting the city back to work will actually solve all those other problems. And the truth is, is that what we've seen from our leadership is a disproportionate response to the virus a total lack of science-based decision-making. So they shut down our hospitality sector, which according to Public Health England data is only responsible for 3.3% of COVID transmissions. They shut down the gyms, which is responsible for 1.7% of COVID transmissions and also responsible for keeping people's mental and physical health. You know, Dave, we're being told to wear masks and separate from each other, and yet we're not being told to do one thing to improve our health, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sure you've had many podcasts about that, yeah. you know, so, you know, getting also putting our health first is another one of my important policies, putting science first and also putting our education first. But the basic thing is just getting London back to work. Everyone I meet in the streets from taxi drivers to people who own pubs and restaurants to even workers, they all don't understand why we're locked down right now. And so we need to get back to work. The crazy thing is the current mayor of London he crusaded for the lockdown. He said weeks before that we were locking down, even though the science should determine that last time I checked. And so it's this weird, he's part of the labor party. And I don't know, I don't know why as a mayor of a city, you would try to shut it down, but that's what he's tried to do. I think he's going to then later blame it on one of the other parties and ask for a bailout. You know, I'm starting to see how politics works. It's two party system. They kind of blame each other for the problems and everyone else suffers. So the first thing I'll do is get everybody back to work. 
What do you say to the the people who say, but it's not safe. I might get coronavirus. You know, I have a sick mom at home or whatever else. I, there's, there's a fear that's out there. But what I'm, I'm sure that people have asked that before, but what do you say? The campaign of fear has been incredible. What, what's actually happened in this country. I mean, it's, it's been so overdone. Um, it's been, it's been magnified to just incredible proportions right now. And so, you know, in England, they almost had a second campaign to try to get people to go back to work. This is before we got locked down the second time because they realized they had overdone the fear campaign. You know, luckily, Dave, I, like you, I've had some incredible people on my show. And so just this week, I had Dr. Martin Kulldorff of the Great Barrington Declaration, you know, medical, Harvard medical doctor. Um, and he's talking about this concept of focus protection, you know, of yeah. a proportionate response to the virus, where if you really look at the data in England, the average age of a COVID death is 81. It's not talked about, it's 81. Um, and so if you look at what Martin talks about, pretty much everyone under 60 that's healthy can get back to work with a very good statistical probability of being safe. And we, we need to actually do extra protection for our elderly and our care homes to actually test them even more. And I know you know a lot of this stuff and to protect the older people also with ailments. If we do that, we can get this place back to work immediately. But yeah. strangely, our politicians, it's like, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. They seem to have one choice, which is lockdown. But it boggles my mind, Dave, why they don't see that there is a variable way that you can do this, but they've shown no track record to do it. I, I may be just one of those systems thinkers, but protecting our elders is one of the most important thing we can do because they're the source of wisdom. They, they've seen this before. In fact, a lot of them are rolling their eyes going, yep, uh, we saw this back in the 30s or <laughs> whenever they saw it last. And if you look at the budget and just the amount of sheer pounds and dollars that we spent, if we were to take a meaningful amount of that and just focus it on the highest risk people, we could give them a very good set of protections. Um, the best medical care ever, the best preventive care and the best masks and everything else. But to take that and dilute it on people who really have very, very low risk doesn't make sense. And it's funny because I posted yesterday on Instagram a quote from David Nabarro, a doctor who's WHO special envoy on COVID-19. And he says, we in the WHO do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control over this virus. By and large, we'd rather not do it. And he's saying, if you have to do it for two weeks to knock it down, that's great. But no health authorities even have said unending lockdowns are what they recommend either. So there's people who are doing it and it seems like it's very rapidly taking money from middle-class people, from poor people. It, they're going bankrupt. It's destroying businesses both on both sides of the pond. So if you could stand up as the mayor of London and say, no, we're going to go back to work and we're going to provide these great protections. Do you have authority over that as mayor? Uh, over you know, NHS as a national entity, do you have enough, enough clout in that position to do what you want to do? You know, the mayor has actually a lot of authority and it has and the mayor has a lot of potential leadership as well. That's the other thing. It's, uh, you know, and I, I keep saying that what we're lacking here is leadership. And, you know, our current mayor, he kind of sells this narrative of lockdown, 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 shut everything down, um, work from home. But, you know, if he had stepped up and said, let's find a way to get back to work, let's empower mm -hmm. the businesses to get back to work, let's help them with the protocols you know, let's go speak with the 25 global financial institutions. And I used to work in finance here and sit down with the CEOs and say, what's it going to take to safely get back 25% of your workforce into their offices so we can get this city back to work? What's it going to take? You know, uh, you know, what's it going to take? Do you want a tax incentive? Do you want us to approve that building project that you want to do here? How can we work together to get everyone back to work? Because I also think we're kidding ourselves with remote working being effective. But just that simple leadership could change the conversation. Um, on top of that, yeah, there also is a lot of authority when it comes to what we can do as a city. Um, again, you know, London is 9 million people, 17 billion pound budget, responsible for, you know, I think it's 25% of GDP and even 50% of, of um, tax revenues. So there's a lot we can do here and there's some things we can't, but there's also this strange line in between where, you know, if the people are behind you, and they are understanding your message. And one of the things we're really good at here, uh, Dave, is communicating. Um, and that's why people are saying, what's, what's gonna happen to London Real when you become mayor? I'm like, are you kidding me? This is gonna be the greatest tool 
of all time for a politician to communicate on a daily or hourly basis with everyone as far as what I'm seeing, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. You know, imagine if the prime minister had something like this, we could understand what's happening. So we think this is one of the great tools. Imagine if all the citizens were buying into our ideas, we could not only take the city with us, we could take the country with us. And so that's why I'm running for London and I got people all around the world saying, I wish I was in London to support you, but you can support us because we really think we could be the model for New York City, for Los Angeles, for Madrid, for Berlin, for Paris, because all these cities are doing the same nonsensical, non-science-based answers, which like you said, is to lock down. And I, I know Navarro, we've invited him on the show. You know, They do not believe lock, lockdown has never been a reason to stop the spread of the virus. It was originally sold to us to flatten the curve and ease strain on the NHS. And at the time when we didn't know what was going on, you could argue that, okay, maybe it was the right decision. It's not the right decision now. Um, and yet it seems to be the only tool they have. I think politicians are just covering themselves for future liabilities. The, the closer I get to the politics stuff, the less I like it, but they seem to make these counterintuitive decisions that kind of protect their reputation, but everyone else loses. It, it's very important in, in government, you must be seen as doing something. And it's less important that it actually works. Because if you're to say, we're going to sit down for two weeks and gather data and come up with a response, that would be two weeks of inaction and then people jump in. And I, I believe that's a lot of what's happening now. It's like everyone wants to, whether they're government or not, I, I want to do something. But doing something that doesn't work is worse than doing nothing. And that's where a lot of our policy has ended up. And you're right, leadership is the way to, to, to stop that from happening. But there is a, an algorithm for government, which is do what's necessary to stay in power, even if it's not good for your subjects. How are you going to avoid following that algorithm? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, I've been analyzing politicians, you know, pretty significantly the last couple months, more so than ever in my life. And I've, I've tried to see the patterns, especially when they're making counterintuitive decisions. Like I said, Dave, for the mayor of London to try to lock down a city that shouldn't be in lockdown, whereas, you know, he needs those tax receipts to run all the, the, the tube. He needs it for the, I didn't get it for a while. And then I realized that his main job is to get reelected. Yeah. And he's, he's been doing this for 20 years as a career politician. So when he goes over budget on the tube and they've had to put uh, about nine and a half billion pounds of, of bailout funding in the tube in the past four years, when, when, when you do that as an entrepreneur, you and I both know, Dave, that when you can't balance your budget as an entrepreneur, you go bankrupt and everything you put into your business is gone. So most entrepreneurs will do anything possible than to lose the sweat equity and capital investment they've put in their business over the years. If you're a politician, you just go ask for a bailout or you just raise taxes and you put a spin on it and you get reelected. And so the current mayor, what he does is he's in the labor party. He brains the national government, which is in the conservative party, asks them for funding. When they don't give it, he says that he's letting everyone down and it's this whole, you know, never ending, never ending circus between these two parties. So for me, I want to go in for the first time and look at this thing as a business. So again, I was, I was did, I did an episode today um, reviewing the budget, and they've got like a 500 million pounds, you know, budget deficit here, and they're cutting back on everything. And I said, why would we expect these politicians to be able to run uh, a 27,000 employee in organization with a 17 billion pound budget? They have no training in management, entrepreneurship, leadership, finance, deal-making. So why would we expect these people to even understand these concepts? So I want to bring the lens of an entrepreneur into this and the background I have in finance. Um, I also am coming without a party with me, without donors, um, and I actually don't need the money. So I'm coming in to do this job for three years, um, and that's it. I want to do this job. I want to set London back on the right course. And then I want to go do some other things. So I don't intend on getting caught up in this loop. I've got other things to do. But our current mayor doesn't have anything else to do. He's got one job, which is to get reelected. And after that, I don't know what he's going to do. So you're basically saying you're going to do a, a hard stop, a hard correct. And you can say, all right, we, we got to stop all this stuff going on. You want to do it for three years and then not be a career politician. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> You know, I, it, it's never, never just something I dreamed of doing. Um, you know, look, I, I'm here to try to, to try to create some change. 
and to, to try to transform. And so if I can do that on a big scale here in London, then that would be great. I'm not kidding myself. It's going to be a difficult job. But also at the same time, it's not difficult. It's like, let's make these intelligent decisions. Let's run it like a business. Let's cut out the nonsense. Let's communicate with everybody in a massive digital way. I don't know. I think we're going to find a ton of success really early on. And like you said, it's sometimes not making a decision, which is the right thing to do. Um, and we've seen countries around the world not make the decisions other countries have made and have seen some successes. So again, I want to go by the science. I've got a science background. I want to go by the business. I've got a business background and I don't want to do anything to do with politics. Are you betting on yourself? Yes. <laughs> so you've gone to the odds makers and you've actually I mean, put. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, well, we started off as a hundred to one. So I right. thought, Dave, if I put 10 grand on that, then, you know, that's a million I can spend on the campaign and I don't need to ask for donations. So uh, I tried to get that away, but they wouldn't give me that kind of action. So, uh, <laughs> uh, a lot so you of, really I, did. Okay. I really did. That yeah. speaks I, volumes. Uh, oh, yeah. It really and I mean, does. I, honestly, the odds collapsed really quick. So I think all of our followers <laughs> did as well. Um, so I did a vlog on it when it first came out. I said, this is 100 to 1. This is crazy. There was even someone at 150 to 1. Um, I know the team here, we're all, all putting bets on. We have, I think a lot of London Reelers did as well, because for them, it was just a no brainer. Um, and again, I feel like there's a vested interest. I keep saying it's, it feels Dave, that I feel like 9 million of us are going to city hall. I don't know. I feel like it's a, a group effort and I feel like we're all kind of in this together. I also feel like every citizen is going to be needing to help me on this venture. Like I, I really feel like everyone's got to also look at themselves in the mirror and say, what can you diff do differently in your life? How can you look at your health different? Are you eating the right things? Are you exercising regularly? Are you leading your family and your community? Are you doing the right things? So I'm going to kind of reverse, you know, turn the tables a little bit and ask the citizens to step up. And also, Dave, I I'm, in I'm in touch with a thousand of the greatest minds on the planet, you know, including yourself. And I'm, I'm already speaking about to these people to be advisors for me. And I feel like we can do a lot with digital media empowering this city with the great ideas we've been talking about on London Real, from the things I learned from you to the things I learned from a lot of other guests, from mindset to what you do with your body, you know, what you eat, everything. I mean, imagine if we can get a city on that wavelength. I think we can make some massive change. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. I'm, I'm listening to everything you're saying uh, really carefully, Brian, because I have a pretty attuned BS filter. And I'm looking to see if you're sounding like a politician. And only 20% of your statements are politician statements so far, which is a reasonable number because you got to say enough of those to do the job, right? <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> if you stood up there and said nothing, which is what a typical politician would do, that's why I've had very few of them on my show. Because I'm like, you, you guys are like media trained talking heads and your job is to say nothing that might piss anyone off. Uh, it, it seems to me like, like you have a reasonable shot at this because you're not with the party. So, so you're let your, it's harder to hate you because there's so much divisiveness where I have to hate everyone in the other party. And you're like, Hey, I, I just stand for ideas and I'm fine with ideas from both parties. And I feel like you're an early sign, just like you were early with London real. Um, you're kind of an early sign of what's going to happen globally in politics where it's, we've certainly seen in the U S this you know highly divisive, highly tribalized. You know, anyone who disagrees with you, censor them. You know, shut them up. People don't like that. We're tired of just you know having arrows pointed at each other 
for no reason. And I look back in my childhood, it was okay to have you know a Democrat or a Republican over for dinner. And maybe it wasn't that polite to talk politics, but if you did, you might get a little heated, but you're still neighbors, you're still friends afterwards. And something's changed. So maybe by coming in as a, someone who says, look, I don't have a party here. I, I stand for you know doing stuff that works. That, that's kind of a, a new idea. And maybe, maybe you can make a big difference there. Are, are there dashboards or core metrics that you would measure yourself on that have never been used in politics? Yeah. And, and just to address that party issue, it's a great point, Dave. I mean, I would say that that division hasn't grown as bad in the UK as it has in yeah. the US, but usually we're just a couple of years behind the US when That's it comes to That's a scary thing. If we're exporting that from the US, I'd, Canada, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm up here for a reason. Don't, don't let that soak in up here either. And hopefully you guys don't get it over there. Yeah. We don't need that here either by any means. And again, I, I just think the best idea should win. And I'm, I'm happy to work with labor people and conservative people, whatever, whatever's going to work going forward, even if they're their ideas, I'm happy as well. So hopefully that'll break it up. The downside, obviously, is I don't have the history or the political backing or the funding of those parties. Um, and so that's the thing we'll be going up against. And, and they fight dirty over here in the UK. The media does and the politicians. You got to love the British media. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I remember when the Bulletproof Diet came out. People lost a million pounds on the diet. It has changed so many people's lives. And the Telegraph said the Bulletproof Diet is everything that's wrong with America in a diet. And I was like, yes! You know, the, the, it's so funny, but but like it's just mean-spirited at, at a certain point where at, at first I was kind of like, what, you know, did I do something wrong? And then I just realized apparently that means that they care. So are you ready to take the hits? I mean, you seem like you're pretty tough. Yeah, it's, it is a fascinating um, kind of vibe that the media has over here. I agree. It's kind of like that. Um, you know, the crazy thing is, is, you know, I waited almost nine years to get articles written about me in the BBC, the Telegraph, Vice magazine. I got nothing until April of this year where they all wrote articles about me, all horrible articles about me, right? All saying the worst things about me. I was raising money and I wasn't building the platform. I mean, they said everything. So I got all the coverage. We got a ton of love this year. We also got a ton of hate this year too. So we got real toughened up when it comes to the media. That being said, that's going to be like going to church compared to what we expect next year, March and April. It'll get nasty. They'll try to character assassinate me. They'll go through everything we've ever done and they'll turn it upside down. So yeah, I mean, I spoke to my family about it and said, look, this is coming. But again, you know, if my, if I'm really here to be of service to the city, then if they want to say some stuff about me, then great. So we're expecting that for sure. Um, as far as metrics, it's a good question um, you, you asked as far as how we're going to be evaluated. Um, you know, as far as coming up to the election on how we're doing, you know, we look at obviously, you know, sentiment from the people and the views and the odds makers, et cetera. When we get into power, it's really going to be about statistics that we see right now that are failing. So massive budget deficits in our transportation, that needs to be sorted. Uh, we just had our 100th murder, uh, teenage murder, most of that from knife crime here, which is really, really sad. So we've got to really do some big things with the Metropolitan Police. We've got to reduce knife crime. It's a, it's a big thing here in the UK, and it's, it's really, really sad. Um, and we've got to tackle that as a metric. Um, again, the economy is really big on my list. I mean, this is one of the greatest cities in the world, Dave. I love this city so much. And we're just a great export to the world right now. But now we're one of the, low, the, 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 one of the lowest performing major cities in the world um, when it comes to all metrics. So getting that back is going to be really important. I've got education metrics as well. And then my big project is digital freedom of speech. You know, I realize that as mayor of London, I can do much more than if I'm just another guy filing lawsuits against YouTube and Facebook, which we've already started. But as mayor of London, I really think we can get real change on some of these digital platforms. So that's my plan. If YouTube and Google and all the other social media companies suppress what you're doing while you're campaigning, are they committing crimes? It's a great question. It's a really good question, uh, Dave. It really is. You know, I've had some very, very difficult, nasty conversations with YouTube. Um, now, some people say, wow, they're actually talking to you. That's great. And I guess it is, you know, because it's we have a partner yeah. program and they actually gave me a call every now and then. Although, you know, one time they gave me a call in the morning and then they gave me a content strike and shut my channel down for a week in the afternoon and never told me that. So 
I get a very duplicitous vibe. But they have said in no uncertain terms, and this might or might, might not be part of a documentary film that might be coming out in a few months, but they said in no uncertain terms on a phone call that you are one upload away from being completely deplatformed. It doesn't matter how many strikes you have, and all you have to do is violate our community policy, of which I responded, but that's completely subjective. Um, you know, they took one of my videos down for quote unquote hate speech that had been up there for two years and I couldn't see anything hateful in the thing. And so it's again, completely subjective, one upload away from being deplatformed. You know, Dave, I thought when I reminded them that I was now running for political office, that they might have to maybe behave a little bit better because now they're, they're meddling in politics, you know, of a country when they censor me. But um, that didn't seem to bother them. They gave me a content strike a few weeks ago as well. So, you know, yeah. I don't. I, I don't know, think I, they mind meddling in politics. No. I mean, look at how no. Trump got elected, right? Yeah. There, there was definitely some social media meddling going on there. Um, no, when I mentioned this to my um, to my rep, and I also mentioned that you know that some of our cases were being talked about in the White House, they didn't blink an eye. They were just like, whatever. They are more powerful than governments. They are, um, and they don't seem to care too much. So yeah, I'm just hoping they don't shut my channel down in the next six months because it's nice to have that for campaigning. But if they do, then they do. Well, that's putting it all on the line. It, it, it's, uh, it's admirable. The easier path to do is you know, just to kowtow and, and keep the platform. And it's, uh, I think it says a lot about your character. And I, I can say that because I really have known you for a decade. Right, or nine and a half or whatever years. It's the very early days. And I've watched you change and and I guess mature. I mean, I've matured myself over the last 10 years. That's what we do as we age. But um, you've just you've just become even more um just upright about like this is what I'm doing. It is right and it is good. And and you know, I I'm willing to take whatever the price for that is. And and that's something that I, I've admired about you personally for a long time. Um, has there ever been a, a mayor of London who has videos of himself breakdancing on <laughs> the internet? For those of you that don't know what Dave's referring to, uh, I, uh, I enjoy physical practice. I do it every single day. I do something. It's what keeps me, keeps my mind clear. And I'm sure you do the same, Dave. But one of the things I started doing a few years ago is I started breakdancing. Um, probably came because I spent a lot of time with Ido Portal, who was a movement expert who trains Conor McGregor, the fighter. And I got into this stuff and I started breakdancing. So yeah, I'm a 49-year-old man who you can see breakdancing at the gym and I do upload videos. And when I went to run for mayor, I thought, what am I going to do? Like, I can't not be myself all of a sudden. I've got this massive digital footprint. It is who I am. So yeah, that's all still up there. Um, all my documentary films are still up there. You can watch me drink ayahuasca. You can watch me confess my... Uh, heroin overdose to my wife that happened in 2001. You can watch me run an Ironman race. You can watch me struggle as a parent, as a leader, as a husband. It's all up there, you know? And that's one yeah. of the things. My, my chief of staff, when he sat down and said, Brian, are you sure you want to run for office? Because they're going to dig up everything. I looked at him and he said, oh, your whole life's on, on YouTube. I forgot. So, <laughs> you know, try and dig up something that I haven't already dug up for you. Uh, which is also a really good transparent strategy. But okay, my last name is Asprey. People know Asprey's of London. Uh, I think I'm like seventh generation. So, but my genetics is all you know, pretty much UK and uh, other surrounding countries. And I know about the the famous the famous you know stiff upper lip. And in in older polite society, you don't talk about anything. You know, you have a, a powdered wig and you do the things you're supposed to do. Uh, how do you think that that just full transparency is going to play with British culture? You know, somebody joked, you're going to be the first YouTube mayor. And um, I think I will be. Uh, but I think this is what the digital age needs. I think especially the younger generation. You know, I had a, a, a gentleman on my show named Nick Whitcomb, and he was up in Liverpool. You might have seen the video on him. He had a very famous video that went viral. He went and he got got uh, featured on the New York Times uh, where five armed policemen came to shut his gym down. And he, he said, no, you know, I'm not shutting my gym down. And he did this whole fight. And he said, Brian, the reason that the younger generation are disconnected from politicians, he said, is because he said, quite frankly, they're not on Instagram. And I was like, well, that sounds strange. And he said, but think about it, Brian, we don't know who these people are. They don't communicate with us on our medium. They don't show us who they really are. So 
So why would you expect our vote? Why would you expect us to listen to what you're saying? And I thought it was a really interesting point. And I thought, wow, maybe this is the time to have that person that's digitally transparent, you know, that can talk to you honestly about what I'm seeing, that can vlog from the site where there's just been a stabbing and I can show you what this actually feels like and how horrible it is. And you can really see what it's like as opposed to me doing a press conference, you know? And so um, now whether the English are ready for it, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I am an American. I was born in America, even though in the, uh, I'm a British citizen. Um, funny enough, our prime minister was born in America as well, Boris Johnson. And Winston Churchill was half American. So there is a, quite a, a history of- Yeah, uh, it's an American. international city of all international cities. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so are they ready for it? You know, I, I think so. You know, this whole city also watched us stand up for freedom of speech um, this year. And, you know, the crazy thing is I was getting stopped on the streets in the middle of the year. Um, and people were saying, thank you for publishing these ideas that no one else would publish. So we already had a really big digital footprint in the city and in the world. I think like 1.7 million people in London had watched one of our videos. So we already had that footprint and we'll see if, if everyone's ready for the, the transparent mayor. But um, I think they are. I really do. Your comment about age groups is so important. Even as an entrepreneur, it's really clear that younger people are saying, I want to know the people who run the companies I support with my dollars because we vote with our dollars or pounds. And just knowing who's who's running it rather than some faceless person who has a you know a veneer that says, Oh, you know, nothing bad ever happens, but you know, at home, you know, everything's wrecked and you know, they have all sorts of dark things. You're like, hey, here's here's me and with a relatively accurate perspective of it. But one thing I haven't talked about, so I was actually supposed to meet with you. Um, right either the, the day after or the day before uh, one of your children was being born. And uh, thank you, jet lag, that I hadn't hacked yet. I actually <laughs> missed our breakfast meeting. I, I felt like such a jerk. But I mean, you have young kids, right? What is being mayor going to do for your family life? You know, I've got these two incredible boys. They're three and four years old. They were born in this country. I've got a 16-year-old stepdaughter as well. So that's our family unit. Um, you know, I always judge myself on how these boys are going to look at me 20 years from now, 30 years from now. That's it. Now they're too young to know what a mayor is. They, you know, mom plays my videos sometimes at home. So they know I'm on the phone sometimes, but they don't really know what I do. But as they get older, it's all going to be out there. Like they can see everything. And so I'm always, I always feel like I'm trying to be the father that will inspire them to be great men. And so that means being the guy that's taking this massive risk and potentially putting themselves out there and, and doing these big things. So I'm trying to be that role model for them. Um, you know, as far as having time in the family, you know, that's, that's always something that's, that's, that's a challenge, you know, trying to get that, that whole balance between concentrating on yourself, being able to serve others and then serve your family. And that's something I'm always trying to figure out um, and always trying to find ways my family's really supportive, which is really good. My wife has always been massively supportive of this. And I always think that whatever I'm building, there'll be a digital footprint and that they'll be able to see in the future. So that's the way I look at this right now. Well, Brian, I, I think you are genuinely a good man and a good human being. And you're, like you said, you're doing this not because it's your career, uh, you're doing it because it needs doing. So I wanted to have you on Bulletproof Radio just to get behind the scenes a little bit about what you're thinking about. Um, you're, you're doing a great job. You've got the, the look that you've always had where you, you're, you're, I just, I always admire you. I go, man, I should get a tie. And then I never do, but <laughs> you, I mean, you, you really are London. Every time I go to see you, like I, you know, we've worn kilts together and gone to different castles and whatever, but I'm always just like, man, that is your home. And I, I do see that and I feel that. And I want listeners to understand censorship comes from deplatforming. It also comes from just hiding. And I, I worked in Silicon Valley for a very long time. In fact, for one of the companies with the best technology where you don't have to ban someone, you just make them invisible. Oh yeah, your content's up there, but there's only one follower, sorry. Uh, and there's a lot of that slimy stuff going on. Um, emails that go to your Gmail may be filtered into spam based on algorithms that don't care about spam, but care about other things. And it's, it's getting to be very sticky out there. So having a big platform 
and being a part of government where you can use your platform and use other platforms out there and hold the companies accountable for equal access to it, I think you're gonna, you're gonna do some really good stuff there and getting people back to work in London and around the world, such a big deal. So I'm looking to you to be a, a guiding light for what can happen here because there's a lot of the world that's saying, how are we going to both protect our elders and have a functioning society? And the fact that you're willing to stand up there and say, I'm gonna follow the science with a small s, you know, the science that's based on observation and measurement versus the science with a capital S, which is just another form of religion. You know, we believe this, so we're gonna do it and any evidence that's contrary is hearsay. And you, you've you definitely just been feeling that for the past year and you are the guy who's taken the most action of anyone I know about it. So my personal thanks for that. I'm really looking forward to seeing you as mayor <laughs> because that would be awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And again, I really feel like the whole world's watching and I feel like we could be a model city for everyone else. So I really feel like this is in weird, in a weird way, a global campaign um, where everyone can see us do it right. And then hopefully they can say, why aren't we doing what London does? So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And again, the freedom of speech thing is a big deal as well. And that'll be a big policy of mine. And I think it's essential if we want to move forward and just continue to grow as, as humanity. So I'm excited. Um, it's always great catching up with you, Dave. And again, yeah, we've known each other for so long. And again, you were a massive early supporter of London Real, and that always will mean a lot to me. And um, it's great to see you as well, like just crush everything, you know, bulletproof. So yeah, congrats on all your success as well. Thanks, Brian. Have a wonderful day. All right, thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.